Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Devjani Mishra, an attorney who heads up Littler's COVID-19 Task Force, about what the Supreme Court's recent decision on COVID vaccine requirements means for employers. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Devjani Mishra, an attorney who heads up Littler's COVID-19 Task Force. Welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. Good to have you. Um, and before we get started, I know you, you were on the program back last summer, but uh, if you could just uh, tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself and about Littler and uh, and what you do there. Certainly. So uh, Littler is uh, one of the world's largest law firms that is exclusively dedicated to representing and advising management uh, with all manner of employment-related issues. Um, I've been at Littler for a number of years, and prior to that, I was an in-house attorney for a number of years. Um, And as you mentioned, I head up our COVID-19 task force, which is about to begin year three (laughs) of assisting employers with navigating a variety of issues related to the pandemic um, from managing uh, ongoing exposures and cases among employees to Uh, dealing with leave of absence issues, accommodations, um, and of course, uh, trying to determine strategies and policies related to COVID-19 vaccination and just generally how we can try to work safely um, as the situation continues into what is now year three. (laughs) I know. Um, Well, I guess to start off, uh, you know, it's been a couple of weeks now, but I wanted to get, you know, your take on the Supreme Court's decisions regarding OSHA's uh, COVID uh, ETS? Sure. I think the decisions ultimately uh, probably came out the way that court observers expected them to, although maybe not on the precise grounds that people would have predicted. Uh, the OSHA ETS came out a little bit after the last time that we spoke. And mm-hmm. I think there's been a lot of confusion about what was and was not part of the OSHA ETS. Um, you often hear people referring to the federal vaccine mandate. Uh, and it's, I think it's important to realize the OSHA ETS wasn't really a vaccine mandate. Um, to the extent it mandated anything, it required employers with 100 or more employees to pick a policy um, from among a small menu of choices. Um, One option would be to require COVID-19 vaccination. Another option would be to require testing uh, for employees who did not receive COVID-19 vaccination. But altogether, the mandate was for employers to choose a policy that was appropriate to their workplaces and their employees given an assessment of uh, what their COVID risks and preparedness might be. Um, What we got from the Supreme Court is, you know, essentially, I think there's a lot of confusion about this. It's essentially a decision that OSHA could not uh, set such a small menu of choices. Um, The court, you know, found that OSHA, uh, you know, has the power to regulate workplace hazards, but that COVID is not a workplace hazard, it's a public health hazard, and uh, that OSHA was uh, overextending itself to try to regulate this for every workplace in the way that it did. 
Um, I think, you know, for people who are familiar with the rest of what OSHA does, this might be a surprise. I think, you know, most of what OSHA regulates is something that also exists outside workplaces, right? Right. Um, gravity, uh, fire hazards, <laughs> chemical hazards. These are all things that exist both in and out of the workplace. Um, and definitely if you are an employer or if you work with employers, um, whether or not you know, the Supreme Court believes that it is, I think it's hard to argue that COVID hasn't been a workplace issue um, throughout the last couple of years um, or that it continues to be one. Um, certainly, you know, being an employment lawyer by training for basically my whole career, um, I, I seem to get a lot of questions from employers for something that's not a workplace issue. So, you know, I, I think if you listened to the argument on January 7th, you could kind of predict that this is how the Supreme Court was inclined to go. Um, but, you know, ultimately what it means is, you know, if you're looking at the layout of uh, the different restrictions and state and local requirements that all point in different directions now, you know, there isn't going to be a single unified federal response to this. Um, and depending on, you know, how you uh, politically think about that, either, you know, great, um, that means there isn't going to be federal overreach or too bad. The cavalry is not coming. Um, but, you know, what what we're left with is a, a, a hodgepodge um, looking across different state and locals in terms of what employers should be doing or could be doing about this. Yeah. And, and I guess what are you telling, you know, your clients in terms of how to proceed, uh, you know, now that this decision has been made? Yeah, I think the the tough part, you know, a lot of people get confused by the Supreme Court decision and say, you know, we're following the Supreme Court decision and that means that we can't have a policy. It really doesn't mean that at all. You know, what the Supreme Court has basically said is employers are kind of on their own to navigate what they think their COVID risks are, if they think there are any, um, you know, based on the different other requirements that apply to them. And so, that may be geography, it may be industry specific, um, it may uh, relate to who people's customers are, um, but really at the end of the day, I think an employer has to look at, you know, what what the issues are that COVID is continuing to cause in the workplace. And, and that can be a whole range. Um, we certainly have many employers um, who have people continuing to work remotely uh, to minimize their risk. You know, at the other end of the scale, we have many employers who um, cannot work remotely, folks in retail, hospitality, other industries where in-person work is necessary, certainly healthcare, um, and they've got to do the best they can to try to keep people working safely and, you know, just to, just to keep people working. Um, I saw a figure the other day about how something like 8.8 .8 million workers missed part of uh, the work week in January at some point or other due to COVID. Wow. Um, that's a really significant impact on, you know, staffing and keeping things running. Um, you know, it's not for nothing that you go to your local grocery store and, you know, things may not be on the shelves or deliveries are delayed. Um, this is continuing to have huge impacts. And so employers really need to think about, you know, it may not be because of OSHA that you have to do something, uh, but just, as a matter of pure business continuity, you know, can can we keep this plant running? Can we keep the shelves stocked? Um, do we have personnel who can come in and, and fulfill these job responsibilities? 
um, you know, you're going to have to factor this in on a continuing basis because the one thing that um, that did not happen is that the pandemic didn't end. Uh, right. We've still got it. It's still here. Yeah, it's it's hanging on. Um, what, it's hanging on. It is yeah. stubborn. <laughs> it, very stubborn. Um, what remains in terms of, I guess, legal questions and, and potential hurdles uh, coming out of this? You know, I, I think there are a lot, right? We, we definitely have this ongoing issue of um, how can people work safely? What's the expectation if someone gets sick? Um, and there's a lot of confusion about this, right? The CDC has changed its guidance a number of times. And, you know, in, in fairness to the CDC, which might not be an expression a lot of people use, <laughs> you know, they are trying to respond to science and the science is changing. Um, you know, one of the observations that was made about the OSHA case is that the OSHA standard was sort of published for a Delta world and, right. you know, then it was stayed. And by the time the stay was lifted, we were looking at Omicron and Omicron, you know, changed the game in a lot of ways. But among them is this idea that, you know, vaccination um, certainly is protective, certainly prevents hospitalization, uh, prevents some of the severe consequences but vaccinated people could still get the Omicron variant and, you know, get sick, uh, not as sick, but could get sick and could certainly transmit the virus to other people. And that really forces a recalculation in terms of, are we done with this? Um, can we return to the office? Is it safe? Are there are additional measures we need to take. And, you know, the CDC has, um, tried to keep up issues, you know, new or, or tweaked guidance day to day. Um, but, you know, if you look at the period when OSHA was released, uh, boosters were still sort of a question. Right. And now you're starting to see employers grappling with, you know, in addition to requiring the vaccine, should we also be requiring boosters? Um, you have employers grappling with you know, do we keep people out of the workplace if they're unvaccinated? What are the ramifications of that down the line? Uh, I think right at this time, anybody who can work remotely still prefers to do so. And so you haven't seen many claims around that. Uh, but as time goes on and there start to be consequences to this, whether it impacts people's compensation or otherwise, you may see employees starting to complain that they're being excluded in the workplace you know, for safety reasons, mm -hmm. um, but they may claim that it's discriminatory or, or denying them equal opportunity. Um, there is the ongoing issue that we don't have a single answer to paid sick leave in this country um, or even unpaid sick leave. <laughs> so employers are having to navigate, you know, as many different locations as they have employees in. Uh, there can be almost that many different ways to deal with sick leave between what people are entitled to, what they can use, um, what they can be required to use. Um, employers have been grappling with testing. You know, one of the uh, parts of the OSHA ETS is this idea that for unvaccinated employees, you would use testing to determine whether it was safe for them to work. Um, but there are a lot of questions about who has to pay for the test, who has to pay for the time for hourly employees to get the test. Can you even find tests? Um, you know, there's ongoing benefits costs to all this. So there's a huge number of questions. And as I said, you know, there's there's not going to be a single federal answer to them. 
Um, so there's a lot of having to look all around, you know, at, at states and localities to figure out uh, what you're required to do, what you can do, what you can't do. And how difficult has it been for employers just to do to balance? You know, you've got the federal requirements along with your state and then your locality, uh, what they require. Because I know, you know, I'm in Massachusetts and, you know, the town I live in, uh, you know, had a mask, you know, mask mandate, you know, any public in any public space that just uh, expired today. So, um, you know, because the, the number of cases is supposedly going down. So, you know, how do you you know, it, it must be so difficult for these businesses to sort of, you know, kind of constantly have to shift. Uh, from one thing to another. Uh, well, I can tell you, and I've got a few colleagues who would confirm, you know, it's more than a full-time job just to keep track of where the changes are, right? right. So, you know, you mentioned Massachusetts. That's a good example. Uh, Massachusetts had created a special kind of sick leave uh, last summer, which was due to expire on September 30th. And like a lot of things that had expiration dates, you know, COVID didn't happen to expire on that date. So, that got extended through April. Um, the federal uh, leave program that we did have during 2020 uh, expired during 2021, wasn't renewed. Um, during the time that OSHA was stayed, you had a number of states pop up with restrictions uh, so that employers, even private employers, um, effectively can't require the vaccine even if they want to do so. And there was some discussion of this at the oral argument that it, that it should be the position of states or the responsibility of states to regulate these issues. Uh, but you, in fact, have states pointing in different directions. You know, some states have made it very difficult, like Florida and Tennessee, uh, and to some extent, Texas, um, to require the vaccine, to have uh, certain other safety measures in place. And so if you are a large employer, you have all of these uh, states and location, uh, localities uh, pointing in different directions. You know, if you'd like to have mm -hmm. a mandate because you operate in New York City, you know, but you have another uh, location in Miami or Nashville, you're not going to be able to have the same policy in both places. Um, if you have employees who routinely travel among your different offices, it might be one requirement at home, a different requirement right. on the right. road. and you know, this is a huge amount of uh, resources and time that's going into just figuring out what the rules even are. And that's time that's not being spent on other kinds of positive improvements that employers might want to make, right? They're just dedicating time to following all this. Um, you know, uh, there was a lot of consideration in the OSHA decision about whether this was something OSHA could publish, you know, on an emergency basis. Mm -hmm. versus the normal notice and comment period. You know, did we have enough notice? Could we, you know, comment on the laws? Everything about COVID and the way we've regulated it for two years, you know, sort of violates everything we heard in law school about notice and comment, right? You might see these, you might see these um, orders published, you know, on the internet uh, or issued via right. tweet, right. Um, you know, in the case of the mayor of San Francisco or, you know, pretty soon we'll probably be looking for governors on TikToks <laughs> telling you, you know, what what the, the new safety rule is going to be, or how long the mask mandate is going to last, or while you know, while they're doing uh, a dance all, all move, right? Right, while they're doing a great dance move, which is it's very memorable. But you know, if you're just trying to keep track and figure out what the rules are, 
you know, you could, you could honestly make yourself crazy. Um, so I would say it's been very difficult and it's not something that you hear enough about um, because, you know, from the traditional standpoint of an employer getting to set the appropriate industry rules and have some discretion over here's what we think makes our workplace safe. You know, you've got these rules pointing in different directions and oftentimes taking away the discretion that employers have. Um, and that's that's a real shift for a lot of employers to get used to. And then they have to deal with, you know, workers who, you know, now, like like you said, we're going into, you know, year three. You know, workers definitely had they had COVID fatigue last year. I mean, and now it's just, yeah. uh, you know, they don't know what to think, and people are, you know, and it's hard to, you know, obviously it's still here. Like I think some people just like they're like, all right, I've I've decided this is over, and you know, I'm going to live my life, but, uh, and then they get sick, but you know, it's got to be difficult just to manage, you know, a workforce that's probably you know sick and tired of you know of just everything going on as well. I mean, I'm sure the employers are as well, but. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. I mean, look, it, if you're going to have people, let's say that you have a workplace where people have largely been able to be remote and so you can avoid that in-person risk, there's still also this issue of people becoming more disconnected and disengaged from each other and, mm. you know, not thinking of themselves as part of a community or part of a common workplace culture you know, um, being very polarized, even within a single workplace about who is vaccinated, who's not vaccinated. Um, it really, you know, a lot is falling to employers now to decide how this next phase of this goes. Um, and we're seeing, you know, some employers who uh, were out ahead of OSHA um, saying that they would follow the science requiring the vaccine. We certainly have seen some industries uh, where that happened across the board, such as in healthcare. Um, but then, you know, we have other employers in different parts of the country who needed the cover of the federal requirement in order to have a policy. Mm -hmm. And once uh, the Supreme Court acted, it just sort of fell away. And so you've seen some high profile companies step away from vaccination requirements or step away from testing requirements. And that definitely has ripple effects for other smaller employers um, in a lot of communities about their assessment of, is it over, isn't it over? Um, you know, for any given employer, it's really just gonna be a question of what happens. Do you, do you keep having employees get sick? And what are you gonna do about that? You know, and how does that affect uh, your ability to return to normal operations? Um, and I can tell you, you know, during January, we're more than a year past the vaccine. And I was hearing from employers about serious outbreaks and even fatalities. So this is a long way from over. Um, and you can look at, you know, the case counts and the, unfortunately the death counts every day to mm -hmm. see that. Yeah. Um, what do you, I mean, I know this has been such a hard saga to predict all the way through, but what are you expecting, you know, as we move into, I guess, the spring and the summer, you know, do you think the federal government's going to make another run uh, at a permanent standard while they have the the, uh, the window? You know, they've they've said that they're going to focus on health care. Uh, we saw a lot of indication out of the Supreme Court during the OSHA argument that they felt like OSHA would be best served to focus on certain industries. 
And of course, we had the companion case decided on the same day as relates to healthcare employers who participate in Medicare and Medicaid. And the court, you know, slightly different breakdown of justices, finding that it was okay for uh, the, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services to regulate um, hospitals that participate in that program. So OSHA has said, you know, it's going to focus its efforts on a standard for healthcare employers to replace the temporary one that expired in December. Um, it's not entirely clear whether they're going to try to do a permanent standard that applies to everyone. Um, you know, they, they withdrew the standard they have, and that brings us just back to the general duty clause in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, whether uh, a COVID can be said to be a workplace hazard in particular environments, you know, for particular employers where you see, um, you know, maybe riskier working conditions or a higher likelihood of transmission. But, you know, again, employers are living this every day. They know the, the numbers in terms of lost time, in terms of uh, what's happening with their benefits and so on. So I think, you know, for this this next period, I don't I don't know that I expect to see them try for a, a wide reaching permanent standard that they may focus on specific workplaces and and industries instead. Right. And they did leave the healthcare. Um, they did require healthcare employees to have, to be vaccinated, correct? Right. And that's part of the CMS case that yeah. those employees will have to be vaccinated. And they were pretty broad about that, too, because the reality of healthcare these days is um, there's so many different ways that people work. And so, you know, whether it's full-time employees or independent contractors, contingent workers, vendor providers, et cetera, um, interns, volunteers, you know, they're, they're being very wide reaching in terms of those. Um, and you're seeing it on the state level too. There's some 30 some odd states that have individual uh, healthcare mandates for employers with, you know, oftentimes narrower exceptions than what the federal government has. So things are moving ahead on that front. Um, the other thing you're seeing is, you know, these public accommodation type roles. So mm -hmm. this, you know, started early in New York City in terms of um, both the employees and the patrons or customers of places like restaurants, uh, gyms, museums, theaters, uh, needing to show proof of vaccination to get in. Um, in New York, that's evolved into a full-on mandate for all private employers um, in terms of vaccination, you know, with only uh, accommodations available for EEO protected reasons, right? Disability, religion, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, but you're starting to see these public accommodation rules in other cities too. So San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, Chicago, Boston, Philly, DC um, have been adopting these rules. And, you know, that's going to have an impact because if you can't eat out in a city, um, that's really, you know, going to impact people who go to work all day long and can't, um, you know, eat lunch or dinner indoors, particularly in February. Right. Um, so you're starting to see a lot of those moves that are specific. Um, and, and, you know, those may evolve further into broader mandates or, you know, as in New York City, they probably at least uh, move the needle, if you'll forgive the expression, in terms of getting more people vaccinated. Because if you can't, you can't eat out and you can't go to a movie and you can't go anywhere else, uh, you start to get a little bit boxed in. Yeah, I know. I think in, in uh, up in Quebec, they required that uh, if you wanted to 
buy liquor because uh, they sell it from like uh, state-run stores, uh, or I, I think uh, by uh, legal weed, you had to be vaccinated. So, and I think that led to a lot of people getting vaccinated up there. So <laughs> I, I did see that. And, you know, it's been interesting. There's been some studies of this, but it, it turns out that when when a company is willing to um, engage in a mandate, that really does have a large impact. Um, we spend a lot of time thinking about the people that we expect to resist the vaccine or not to get vaccinated, but there are many people who get vaccinated when they're told it's going to be a requirement right. um, for in-person work. And so, you know, I think we're, we're seeing more and more of those. Um, it's been interesting post Supreme Court decision, you know, for employee employers to sort of do the calculation and say like, okay, well, what can we do about this? You know, our our um, productivity, our our business continuity is hard to predict. Benefits costs are going up. You know, we can't possibly provide unlimited sick leave for people to be able to quarantine or isolate. You know, intermittently all year. What are we going to do? And I think more and more of them are moving in this direction just to try to bring us closer to the end of this, whenever that might be. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we spoke six months ago and, uh, if we, if we talk again in six months from now, I'd like to think we're not going to be talking about COVID, but we probably will. <laughs> we, we might, I mean, I do point out to people that there's two O's in the Greek alphabet and we still have a way to go between Omicron and God. Omega. Um, so, you know, it's a it's a it's a good experiment or experience for those of us who had to learn the Greek alphabet at a young at a young age for yeah, some you, reason you know or other. <laughs> I know what's coming. No, yeah. I wish I knew what was coming. But, you know, look, this is this is the reality of the situation. As long as we've got this substantial population not getting vaccinated, um, there is always that possibility of, you know, another variant that changes the equation again. And so um, I, I, I do encourage employers, you know, don't don't change your safety programs too quickly. Um, don't you know, you don't have to be the first mover on certain things. You don't have to be ripping off the masks mm -hmm. uh, just because there's a headline saying Omicron is going down. You really need to look at your own workplace, the community you're in, the transmission stats in your area. Um, I think there's all the difference in the world if you're in a workplace that's 90% vaccinated versus one that's 40% vaccinated. Um, employers absolutely can collect information about, you know, who's vaccinated in their own workplace and use that to guide their decision making. Um, and part of what we're seeing, frankly, you know, partly because of these these rules in New York City and in healthcare and elsewhere, um, is that businesses are driving each other on this. You know, um, you, you're not going to sue your largest customer if they impose a vaccination requirement uh, for you to meet with them. You know, you're right. you're going to figure out how to work with that requirement. And so, you know, I think there's a there's a slowly evolving recognition um, that certain steps can bring us closer to something like normal. Um, it's going to be a different normal, right? I think in many workplaces, remote and hybrid work are here to stay. Um, will probably always be sort of a pressure valve in these crisis situations, but you know, it's there's a long way to go. I'd like to think in six months we can talk about something else, but uh, there's there's a lot to consider here. It definitely is. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. 
Absolutely. And, you know, always a pleasure to talk to you and stay safe. Yeah, you too. That wraps up episode 98 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. Thank you.